Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, not much. Uh, like I was telling you literally 15 seconds ago, I spent a lot of the afternoon wandering around Chicago trying to find somewhere that develops disposable cameras. Uh, I tried Walgreens, not a sponsor, but they could be. No luck. I tried CVS, not a sponsor, but they could be. No luck. Uh, so it was a very, um, a very active but unfruitful afternoon for me. Uh, I laid on the couch and watched football. So basically the exact same. Uh, but yeah, Brady Strange made a tackle. That was apparently the highlight but, of like the Penn Stater so far today. So it wasn't so much that Brenton Strange made a tackle. It was that the ball got snapped to the Titans punter and it was a perfect snap. And his brain just short-circuited and he like dropped it. And instead of like trying to do literally anything, he just kind of stood there and let himself get tackled. And Brenton Strange happened to be the guy who did that. But uh, good for Brett. I wonder what, um, did he end his rookie year with a, uh, he did eat a touchdown, I Brenton, think like a month and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, five receptions, one touchdown of the year. And then if he did anything else, that would be, uh, that would be nice, but, uh, not here to talk about Brent Strange. We're here to talk about just the world of Penn state, uh, football season is over. We're moving into, uh, the very end of portal season. It, a couple of days ago, we put out the solo show that we kind of, by we, I mean I, uh, slacked on recording and getting out. So what we're going to do is we're going to get all the portal stuff. We're going to get into transfer stuff. We're going to get into returning, uh, you know, return stuff like that a little bit later in the podcast. But Matt, I think a good place to start is the people heard us talk about the Peach Bowl. Mm-hmm. And by hearing that, by saying that, I mean the people heard me talk about the Peach Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good to just get another voice, get another perspective, get another whatever. Uh, in here to talk about Penn State's 38 to 25 loss to Ole Miss uh, to end the season 10 and 3. Uh, what are your general thoughts on the game? Um, feeling good, feeling bad, do, do whatever comes to mind when, you know, we're now uh, a week and a day past um, past when the game happened. Just, so, what, what kind of comes to mind when you think about the Peach? They look great to start. Like, those first couple series, they were bullying Ole Miss up front. They were getting really good push. The running backs were hitting the lanes. Things looked fine. Defensively, I think I expected them to look a little bit lost without their leader in Manny Diaz and then without three Sunday players with Chop opting out, Kalen King, and Johnny Dixon also opting out, and then with Curtis Jacobs on a pitch count, and Adisa Isaac, I think, on a bit of a pitch count as well. So you kind of expected it to take a step back. Uh, but I did not, I, I got to give Ole Miss credit, I did not think they had receivers who had like the maximum amount of dog in them for that game, man. Like they put these young Penn State corners in a blender and I think that's a really great learning opportunity. But from the perspective yeah. of that one game vacuum, it was, a, it was a tough watch and didn't really inspire a lot of confidence. Again, it's a long way to go before toe hits leather again. But overall, I think it was kind of, the problems we saw at offense all year and that they looked kind of disjointed, no receiver looked like they wanted to make a play. And then you factor in that with the defense, not being able to continue the stretch, which I think, again, I think we expected. And you end up with a, you know, a two score loss to a top, what I think is going to end up being a top 10 team in the new year six. Uh, It sucks. I don't really think you can take that much away. Uh, again, I really don't think you were changing anybody's minds from this game is kind of what I'm trying to get at there. You can take things away, but this is kind of what the season would have looked like if Penn State did not have a generational defense. And I came out of this game very grateful that they had that generational defense for 12 of these 13 games. Yeah, I mean, it's a point that I made, point that I made on the solo show, but uh, just to quote that James Franklin gave, after the game, uh, specifically to the game, just too many moving parts with staff and with the players against a good team, too many moving parts, staff and players to have the type of success that we wanted to have today. And I, I, I think the word that I used was compromised. We saw a compromised version of Penn State football between guys opting out, between um, guys on pitch counts, between interim coordinators on offense and defense even though the, the interim offense coordinators have a little bit of experience um coordin- you know kind of directing traffic with this offense and then you consider just like a, a thing you and i discussed matt 
Ole Miss very clearly went into this game going, this is an opportunity for us to make a statement ahead of next year when between guys who are returning and what we're doing at the transfer portal, we have the potential to win the SEC and really seriously compete for a national championship mm-hmm. in a very similar manner to how Penn State approached the Rose Bowl. 100%. So I, I, in, in, in retrospect, you know, you and I both picked Penn State to win this game. I think in retrospect, I strongly underestimated the impact all that stuff would have, both the stuff involving Penn State and Ole Miss. I'm guessing you agree. No, 100%. Also, I underestimated Ole Miss. Like, straight up, I'll I'll admit that right here. I did not think they were that talented. I mean, I'm a Big Ten guy through and through. My thoughts on the SEC as a conference as a whole, you know, remain unchanged based upon this, but that is a, in a vacuum, that is a much better and was a much... um, much more active um, in terms of all 85 guys being available uh, Ole Miss roster than Penn State had. I'm not making any excuses. Penn State showed they can win that game with how they played early on, and they just were not able to deliver. Yeah, I think I, I think my general stance was that, like, over the course of a full football game, talent and coaching eventually went out, and Penn State didn't have all of its talent, and Penn State didn't have all of its coaching. Good way to word and- it. Ole Miss did. We saw how that uh, ended up playing out. Uh, were, were there any, um, let's see, were there any players, any performances? Dang. You know, you and I are kind of of the belief that you can only take so much away from a bowl game like this, particularly when you are going into it, Matt, without, you know, the guys who coached you all year. And the guys who are going to be coaching you next year, Tom Allen and Andy Kodal, Nikki, obviously were not on the sideline, Real quick, uh, not what, in the boots, what whatever. What the announcers was of that game um, seemed to not know that Tom Allen wasn't calling the defense for Penn State, and that drove me nuts. Like, the amount of times they mentioned that, like, oh, new coach Tom Allen has to get their guys sorted out, like, that drove me absolutely insane. That was lazy preparation, uh, if that was the actual belief of those broadcasters. That made me really angry. Yeah, it was uh, Mark Jones and Lewis Riddick of ESPN, who I love both of yes. them, but the problem is they are both guys who are stretched very, very thin, and my hunch is uh, they didn't get, you know, Mark Jones is an NBA guy. He calls NBA games mm-hmm. both for ESPN and for, uh, he's the official broadcaster for the Sacramento Kings, so he's doing all that stuff. Lewis Riddick obviously wears a million different football hats. Mm-hmm. You know, he was uh, he was on uh, one of ESPN's NFL broadcasts this weekend. My guess is they only had a very limited amount of time to actually really dive into the every single detail of this game. Mm-hmm. But you saw, a, you know, Riddick specifically, when there was stuff that he could talk about and he could look at and immediately analyze, he's like the best guy. Oh, yeah. Had. No, but, they're definitely, well, but that, that's on yeah. bro- broadly, if we want to get into broadcasting speak, that's on like the producer and the director, whatever, blah, blah, blah. No one right. cares about that kind of stuff. So player, players, um, any again, anything that really stuck out to you as we head into this offseason that made you go, Oh yeah, I feel real, real good about that. Or uh, I don't know. I'm a little bit you know, I got I got a b- bit of agita going into the offseason after watching that against uh in in that environment. First overall pick Tyler Warren. It was great to see him go out there and make some fun plays. I'm really glad that bit gets to live on for another year. Uh, Devon Ellis, I thought, played well. We'll talk about him later on in this podcast uh, for a different reason, but I thought Ellis has really come on strong in the latter half of this year. Um, and then outside of that, Tony Rojas, I thought, played pretty well overall. Uh, it was a bummer Abdul Carter got hurt because he was really, I think, coming into his own. I think that game could have looked a lot different if he's out there full-time. Anthony Donko, I think, really held his own for a true freshman. Um, you know, redshirt secured, so that, that was always exciting. And then... That was really about it. No one really stood out to me in like the Keandre Lambert Smith, Nick Singleton Rose Bowl way last year. It was just again, mm-hmm. it felt like pulling teeth on both sides of the ball. So like the the things that can flash were much smaller and from guys that we really weren't expecting it to come from. And then was there another side of it? Um, was there anyone or anything that you were disappointed? Yeah, the offense in, looks broken. You still. weren't. The offense looks broken. So, the, uh, uh, yeah. so what's what, what? Let me ask: Was there really any way, in retrospect, where you think 
where you think the offense couldn't have looked because in retrospect, just my argument here, mm-hmm. one, you know, this is basically what Drew Aller is at this is at this point in the context of the entire season. I still think he has a ton of growth to do. He's still a guy whose flaws are like a huge problem, but they're also kind of, um, not kind of, they're part of it is his wide receiver room and the wide receiver room. The wide receiver group just couldn't do much of anything. Keandre Lambert-Smith on a pitch count. Dante Cephas not playing at all. There was a lot of guys who don't get a ton of The offensive line, two brand new tackles, one of them in Drew Shelton, who just did not have an especially good game. Mm-hmm. So when I look at all of that stuff, I'm disappointed in how the offense performed. Obviously, Juwan Sider, Ty Howell, uh, guys who have really bright futures, are not guys who uh, have been coordinating this office, building in their own all, uh, image all season long. When I look at it through that perspective, obviously I am still a bit a good bit disappointed in the performance. But it's almost like, man, were they ever really in a position to succeed going into this football game? I mean, they looked fine. Uh, granted, um, a lot changes in a month. They looked better than fine against Michigan State on Black Friday. And again, I know a lot's changed, and they were taking deep shots again. The running game looked explosive again. Aller looked like he was confident and trusted his receivers in that game. And then it just never really got anywhere after that. So I think there definitely was something we could have been able to take away. But it would have been small, but still, you know, we're going to go into now, Bill. The next time Penn State plays football, it's going to be, you know, August 31st or whatever. We were looking for nuggets to cling to, and the offense just frankly really didn't give us anything to. Yeah, and certainly uh, once the spring game rolls around, we will fight. You know, Julian Fleming will catch one football, and we'll suddenly we will go, hey, the entire wide receiver um, but you know that takes going to be out there, Bill. We joke about that, but you know somebody's going to have that take. You're you're going to be the one who has. I'm not going to have that What's... take. <laughs> I'm not going to have that take. That doesn't sound anything like me. Yes. Uh. So yeah. Any any final peachful thoughts? Any you know? I'm sure over the coming days and weeks we will do more hyper focused end of season stuff, mm-hmm. but. Any final thoughts on the Peach Bowl? Any final thoughts on um, just kind of this season as a whole as we're getting ready to go into what's going to be a, uh, you know, so far it's been a pretty productive offseason for Penn State. Uh, One last comment I'll make, and Daquan Hardy deserved better in his final game. Daquan Hardy deserved better. And, you know, I'm really happy that that guy is on the NFL radar um, and I'm excited to see what he does next. But it was cool to watch him get that many snaps uh, against a big-time opponent, and he really did deserve better. Yeah, 90 snaps in his final game is like, you know, that, that God, I'm going like uh, to sound like an asshole here. 90 snaps in your final game in this era of college football when you know that you're going on to the NFL. Like, it's obviously not to disparage a guy like Olu or a guy like Kate. need to get that out there. For a guy like Daquan Hardy, who, you know, without trying to sound arrogant, Penn State really did take a chance on mm-hmm. him. Like he was the he was, he was a, going to Buffalo. Yeah, he was going to Buffalo. I think he was outside of the top one thousand players in his recruiting class. He was a three star. Like one of those guys that Penn State just looked at him and went, "He's a good football player. We're going to see what happens here." And Penn State takes that chance on him, and then he spends the rest of his career just grinding and grinding and getting better and making Penn State look smart for it. I, I'm 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 glad he got one more game uh before he ended up going out, but that'll uh Oh yeah, well I'm sure we'll talk about Daquan Hardy as we get into the NFL uh, draft stuff. As we draft stuff offseason all day. <laughs> but uh before we dive into just kind of, you know, touching all the bases of what's happened in the world of Penn State football over the last couple of days, let's talk about home field apparel. Home field the long time Longtime sponsor uh, of this podcast ever since we've gone to podcast only. A uh, group of folks who are, uh, one, very excited to see Tom Allen as Penn State's defensive coordinator as they are run by a Hoosier, and two, uh, probably going to have horrible, horrible anxiety watching the national championship game because Michael Penix and Caleb DeBoer are both going to be part of that for the Washington Husky. I actually saw something 
think it was the athletic today where it was basically like how the 2019 and 2020 Indiana Hoosiers set up uh, this national have their like fingerprints are set up this national championship game. And I want to send it to Indiana fans, but I know it'll probably make them very upset. So what you could do instead is you could give home field apparel money uh, to make them not upset. Home field has some really excellent stuff in their collections, t-shirts, joggers, crew necks. Uh, I got their Unstate Bomber jacket for Christmas, as I mentioned on the last podcast. Nice. Matt, go ahead and talk about Homefield Apparel. Yeah, they make site. some of the coolest stuff in the collegiate apparel marketplace today. Not just Penn State. You pretty much name the school. They're going to have it. And if they don't, they're probably working to add it to their collection. Hats, crewnecks, t-shirts, sweatshirts, you name it, they have it. They really take the time to take a deep dive into your school's history and find logos that can mean something to you. All kinds of unique stuff, whether that be the old school Nittany Lion Shrine logo, the traditional uh, Chipmunk logo, they really do have it all, and they've been outstanding partners to us. Bill, do we have a new promo code for 2024, or are we still rolling out with RLR23 right now? I think we're still rolling out with the old one. I haven't I haven't seen anything in my email indicating other So our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code RLR23 at checkout. Again, that's 15% off your first order with promo code RLR23. Thank you, as always, to Homefield for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, go Michael Penix and Kaelin DeBoer. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, you know, before we'll, we're recording this on Sunday, so let's let, let's just take two minutes to talk about the national championship game, uh, and then we'll dive back into Penn State stuff. But, like, I, I would prefer if Washington won this game. I would really prefer if Washington won this game. Would, um, if that were the case, Bill, would Washington be the first reigning national champion to come to Penn State the following season. Did Miami do it in the 2000s? Um, I had to look that up, but that would be interesting. That'd be fun. Like, that'd be cool. Like, the Big Ten, I kind of hate what's become of it, but, I, you know, it can't be a stickler. That's what the Big Ten's going to look like for the majority of my life now. Um, I think it's going to be pretty neat. I hope that Washington's able to go out there and win it. Yeah, the, I mean, the obvious one that my mind went, and my assumption is why you asked this question was because in 2015, Penn State went to, uh, went to Ohio Correct. State. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, did Bama win a national championship oh, in the year before? Auburn uh, won 2010. 20... Cam Newton's Heisman season was 2010. Okay, yeah, that Bama team they finished number eleven. Mm-hmm. Twenty. Okay, yeah. So I, I don't know. It would uh, it would be quite a while back. But we'll yeah, have like, a research I, department fact that, fact check that. We don't have a research department. Uh, I think giving away the game, Bill. It, I I think if anyone listens to this podcast, they could probably figure out by now that we aren't exactly the most uh, the the most highfalutin uh, operation. Yeah, I, I don't even know if that's what highfalutin means. So I might have just proven a point. Tyler uh, Warren first overall. So yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I who, who who do you got with it? And just give me give me a brief reason uh, why it kills you, me to say. You, I think Michigan's going to win it. I think they're wildly <laughs> motivated. Um, listen, I I I'm going to get on a soapbox here, Bill. Is that allowed? Yeah, I don't care. Uh, Michigan cheated. I understand that they cheated. Uh, when we're looking back in 20 years and we're naming national champions, we're going to name Michigan, and a lot of people aren't going to understand the context behind it. So you can say that it's going to have an asterisk. You can think that. When we think about this game in 15, 20 years, we will not think about that. We will remember the Michigan national champion T-shirts that are out there, uh, and I think Michigan is going to win the game tomorrow. Well, unless it gets vacated. Even then, like Louisville's 2013 like um, college basketball title is still real. Like people still, the games happened. Like I, I, I watched it. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like I think that it's just going to be. No, no. I, yeah, I get that. But I think the difference with something like this is that Louisville's situation was just like a couple of recruiting violations. Michigan's was. Well, well, one, people don't like people don't like Louisville basketball, but I don't think people are like looking for reasons to shovel dirt on a Louisville basketball right now, part because of Louisville basketball. They're doing that to terrible. themselves right now. Yeah. I, yes, correct. But I also think people are going to want to like just twist the knife against Michigan as frequently as they can because Fair. Uh, it, I people tend to not like the University of Michigan because the sense of superiority by Michigan fans that we've seen throughout all of this. Uh, but having said that, I think that I think Michigan is going to end up winning. I just don't know how Washington like stops them from running. Yep. Basically. So I I can absolutely see a scenario where Michigan gets the ball first. They have like a 12 play eight and a half minute drive that ends in a touchdown. 
Washington's offense comes out three and out, even though I, I love Washington's offense, just that long on the sideline of not playing three and out. Michigan comes back out, does that exact same thing. Next thing you know, there's six minutes left in the second quarter and Michigan is up 14 to nothing. And this is the second time Washington's touching the ball. I can see a scenario where Washington wins this game, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to be rooting for them very hard. I think that's the most important thing yep. here, Matt. 100%. And with that, I think that's a good way to, uh, you know, we're, we're going to steer back into Penn State world. And like I said, just kind of touch the various bases that we can uh, we can touch on. Uh, this is my favorite time of the year, like right now, like this roster turnover stuff. Like it's like when you do a 2K association with your friends and the most fun part of the offseason, like this is the most interesting part of like the football calendar to me, this like three week period. Well, it, it all started for Penn State with, you know, depending on who you ask, uh, this started like a month ago, uh, if that is when he actually committed or whatever. Um, but Julian Fleming has seemed to be in Penn State's plans for quite some time, and he made it official uh, last week. Fleming, of course, former five-star, number one recruit in Pennsylvania, number one recruit at his position, went to Ohio State, had a bit of an up-and-down career, uh, and his final year as a college football player is going to be spent in uh, in Happy Valley and it's coming amid some pretty serious turnover for Penn State's wide receiver room in that the guy who was in Julian Fleming's shoes last offseason, the big-name wide receiver transfer, was Dante Cephas, who it just didn't work for one reason or another. So, Matt, let's start by just doing your general over general view, vibes, whatever, on the construction, on what you think about Penn State's wide receiver room, whatever else, and then we'll dive into Fleming specific. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, a couple of years ago when we were a written medium, I wrote an article and I accidentally called Julian Fleming a Penn State football commit. Uh, <laughs> full circle moment. I turned out to be right like seven years later. Um, <laughs> this is this is this isn't going to solve Penn State's wide receiver problems. That's going to be something that we are not going to, I think, have an answer for probably until like even October of next year. So so I don't think we can look at this from the perspective of is the room fixed? But what Fleming does is he raises the floor. Mm -hmm. And Penn State's floor, as we learned this year, is really low. And this is a guy who has the five-star pedigree, even if he does not have five-star production, who can go out there and be a leader and help fix a lot of things in that receiver room. At time of recording, the only person who has left the receiver room, aside from Dante Cephas, is Christian Driver. Mm -hmm. So you have, by my count, I want to say it's like 13 scholarship guys in that room. Obviously, we don't know if Keandre Lambert-Smith's going to come back. I think he would make it 14. But now you have a leader in that room who's produced at what we can all fairly say is the best wide receiver school in America. It hasn't been elite production, but very, very few guys there have elite production. Ohio State's three is probably better than Penn State's one in most seasons, and that's what Fleming has been. So with him in the fold now, I think we're going to see a receiver room that has a clear alpha, a clear leader, a guy who's been to that mountaintop and played early on at, again, the best wide receiver school in the country, and it is now going to be his room and it's his responsibility, I think, to raise the floor. I'm not asking him to be the guy to take Penn State to an 11-win regular season. I'm asking him to raise the floor of what was the Achilles heel of the Penn State offense this past year. Yeah, I, I the, the way that I put it on the um, on the uh, solo show was that I think if the I, I think if your hope, your expectation is that he's going to step in. And fix everything. And next thing you know, Penn State's wide receiver room is going to be one of the best in the country because they got Julian Fleming. They got this blue chip. They got this guy who was going to fix, you know, single-handedly uh, become the number one receiver that Penn State wants. I think you're going to be pretty sorely mistaken. I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy who catches, you know, latest career stats. 
79 catches, 963 yards, seven touchdowns. So let's bump those up. Just just a tick. 80 catches, 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns. You know, what we might view as like the classic wide receiver number. If you're expecting him to basically have his career production in one year at Penn State, I think you're going to be pretty upset. But if he can come in and look at his best year at Ohio State, 34 catches, 533 yards, six touchdowns. If he could be in the ballpark, preferably on the you know slightly higher end of those, I think that is really good production. If you know, again, we'll play the round again. 40 catches, 550 yards, and we'll say five or six touchdowns. I think that's a really good player. That would also very clearly be Penn State's number two receiver on the season. Penn State's top receiver this year, Keandre Lambert-Smith, 53, 673, and four. Their second receiver and the wide receiver was Cephas, 22, 246, and two. So if you can have a guy who is in between those two ranges, I think that's a really good thing for Penn State's wide receiver room. When you then add Matt, like you mentioned, kind of that intangible stuff. He's an awesome, awesome run blocker. He is a yep. He is not the most dynamic guy. I watched a little bit of his tape. He's not really a yards after catch monster, but he's a guy who knows how to find little bits of space and get open and reel the ball in. And maybe he only picks up, you know, two, three, four yards after that. But if he's catching the football at the sticks and he catches, gains another two, three, four yards after that, that's mm-hmm. a first down. That's moving the chains. That's something Penn State really only had out of its tight end. So I think that is a good addition. And then, Matt, I want to ask you kind of just a general question of Penn State needs two or three wide receiver, two or three new wide receiver. I laid mm-hmm. out why I kind of disagree with that. Uh, but what are your general thoughts? Do you think Penn State needs that much new blood? in its wide receiver? This is a great question because I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I think there's a lot of talent in that room amongst the younger younger players. Like, And I'll count that as the redshirt freshman this past year and below. Like, I think Anthony Ivey can turn into a pretty good player. I think Carmelo Taylor has the ability to be a weapon for this offense one day. Probably not anytime soon. He's just small. I think Penn State needs a complete overhaul in how that room practices. Keandre Lambert-Smith and Malik Mega are good football players who do what they're asked really well. Keandre Lambert-Smith was Penn State's leading receiver. Malik Mega was a special teams captain. With that being said, I think they need a no-nonsense guy in there, and if you bring in a second guy with that attitude in that, this is our money year. This is the year where we have to prove that we are not what people have said that we are. And that's what I think Julian Fleming and maybe a second guy can go out there and inject that belief. Like, in theory, a a wide receiver coming in is the staff kind of saying, somebody in this room is not going to have a job. I want to see these guys have a fire lit under them and say, I don't think you should have gotten that guy. I think the answer was in this room. And then I need somebody to go out there and show the coaches and me that that's not exactly the case or that that is the case in this in this example. And I just think that Penn State needs new leadership in that room, especially. And I think Marcus Higgins can go out there, have Julian Fleming and maybe a second guy be those leaders this team desperately needs and really change the trajectory of what's a, what, it, what looks like a room right now that just really doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, trying to find the quote from Higgins from after after the peach bowl um but he basically here we go he was mad yeah I, he wasn't particularly mad i mean his receivers were mm-hmm. nobody did anything in in the top 10 matchup uh, on new year's day like I, I i keep hearing about creating more separation we just got to make more plays if those things happen and we're really great in the perimeter and the run game i think we'll have a really gl- good group that's where we got to excel uh, those improvements will happen they have to happen i'm pretty confident it's going to take a lot of work i'm not saying that in a cocky way it's going to take a lot of work, but that's ultimately why Coach had faith in me to bring me here, and that's what I've got to do. I understand what's at stake. Those quotes came from uh, Audrey Snyder of the Athletic. And, uh, you know, I laid it out in the previous pod, but basically I don't necessarily think they need to bring in three brand new guys. I think that if you could get one new guy in Fleming, 
and you could get one guy in Trey Wallace, who everyone seems to think is Penn State's best receiver when he is healthy. If you can get him healthy and reliable, and you can get internal development somewhere to a point where a guy's reliable. Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about after the game, Caden Saunders tweets, all I see on my Twitter is stuff about our wide receivers. We have more than enough talent. Trust um, Amari. It's him and Amari now. Amari, I think oh, our guys. Well, that's the other yeah. guy I was going to say. Amari Evans tweeted, stay on that side for real, though. Like, these guys clearly are aware of the perception. And I How love. How not be? Yeah. I love, and I love that attitude. If mm-hmm. they can, if that lights a spark under them, if their coach, their position coach understands that they're ju- they just were not good enough. If these things have, and there are a lot of ifs. There were a lot of ifs coming into this year. There are these ifs still exist in some form or fashion. But you give me a guy in Fleming. You give me a guy in, say, Trey Wallace, or you give me a guy in Malik McClain taking a step forward. And then you give me one of these young guys making good. This room makes a lot more sense. If they find mm-hmm. see guys out there somewhere, I'm very happy to see them bring them in. But I, I, I don't know. I, are you... Look, yeah, in the expanded ahead. playoff era, in the expanded playoff era, you can make the playoff because I think it's going to be really easy to make the playoff for a lot of teams. And if a team like Penn State, it should be. You should make the playoff more years than you don't in this new world. And I think a room of Julian Fleming, Trey Wallace, Little Cliff, Amari Evans, Caden Saunders, and Malik McLean. If Kerry Lambert-Smith comes back, great. That's another name to that room. That should be enough. There is enough talent in there that they have to, and I know this term is a is a buzzword on this podcast, figure it out. Figure it out. There's enough talent there. Figure it out. And and, and let's be Get honest. Done. And let's be honest. A big part of this is the quarterback, too. Like, Drew was not good enough. Drew mm-hmm. was not good enough this year. He was timid throwing to his wide receivers for one reason or another, whether that was because of the wide receivers, whether it was because of Drew, whether it was because of the scheme, whether it was because of the opposing, whatever it was, Drew was not good enough this year when it came to throwing the ball to his wide receivers. And He's part of this, too. He's part of the figure-it-out camp that I'm in here, too. He's he's part of it. Yeah, I I, I don't have the exact quote from, here we go, the exact quote from Franklin, uh, where he was talking about the passing game after the bowl, and he said, I think there's some things that Drew can do and be more consistent as well, but I think the biggest thing, which I think was a question earlier, is we've got to be able to scare people and be a threat consistently on the perimeter. Blah, blah, blah. It's a little bit of Drew, a little bit of the offensive line, a little bit of the coaches, a little bit of the wide receivers. It's all this stuff, but if the wide receiver room is able to take a step forward in an offense designed by Andy Kotelnicki that Everyone is optimistic about Penn State's wide receiver room fitting into it. That's a great thing. That's a good thing. And a guy like Julian Fleming just coming in and bringing that professional mindset to things, I think is invaluable for Penn State. He has to stay healthy. He's a guy who's had battled some injury issues in the past. You know, he's been a bit more fortunate these past couple of years. He's got to stay healthy. But if he stays healthy, he's going to bring that to the room. And I think that's really important. Uh, but Fleming isn't the only former Pennsylvania number one recruit uh, to join Penn State. As we learned on Saturday, the Nittany Lions earned a commitment uh, from Nolan Rucci. Uh, Rucci is uh, from Lillet, Pennsylvania. He was the number one recruit in the lovely Commonwealth of Pennsylvania back in the class of 2021, a five-star prospect. And, and now officially, Bill, the only 2021 offensive lineman uh, in that class yeah. on Penn State's roster with uh, Nate Bruce and Landon Tangwall both out of the program for various Damn. reasons. But yeah, Rucci, as we all know, he committed uh, to Wisconsin, played with his brother Hayden for a couple of years and is now on his way uh, to Happy Valley. And Matt, like, I, how could you not be... How could you not be excited about this, even if Rushi didn't have, you know, he wasn't the kind of indomitable left tackle at Wisconsin that, you know, makes this so he comes in and day one, he's written in ink as Penn State's left tackle and the obvious successor to Olu Fasha. Two things, Bill. So Penn State now has the last five number mm-hmm. one player in Pennsylvania on the roster. Can you name all five? Um, Fleming, obviously. Uh... Rucci, obviously, are you counting Quentin Martin here? Yes, he's, yeah, because he's on the roster as of tomorrow, I think, with classes starting. Cool. 
uh, Nick, today when this is coming out. Nick Singleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the recruiting class? I don't have. Twenty twenty three. Three. Uh, number one kid in Pennsylvania class of twenty twenty three. Uh, my mind's drawing a blank. Javen Williams. Javen Williams. That's right. That's pretty cool. Like that's really cool that the top five players in PA for five straight years are all in state college at the same time. That's really cool. Um, also, hat tip here. Uh, similar to how when uh, when Tom Tom Allen came on our radar when his son Thomas followed the blog <laughs> on Twitter. Um, uh, Mr. Rucci, uh, shout out to you. Uh, Nolan's father, Todd, followed us on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago, and I put it in the Slack, and I go, hey, there might be something here. Um, yes. So if you want insider information, just keep an eye on our follows, apparently. Yeah, Todd, um, Todd Rucci, Todd that- Rucci, of course, uh, former offensive lineman for Penn State, played a bit uh, in the NFL. I believe uh, they're, they're back in Pennsylvania. Uh, yes, played mm-hmm. for the Patriots. Uh, Todd, come on the pod. Yeah, Todd, if you Todd, if you listen to this podcast and you want to come on, like, we're going to roll the car- red carpet out for you. Come on whenever you want. True. Uh, right off the bat, though, I mean, this is huge. This is such a big win for Phil Troutwine in that transfer portal. And to look at the state of the Penn State offensive line right now, Bill, I put this together. I'm going to rattle off the guys who at least I'm expecting back next year for Penn State. It's 15 guys, and I think there's a lot of talent here. Sal Wormley, nothing official yet, but we, we do believe he's going to come back for his sixth year. Nick Dawkins, Nolan Rucci, J.B. Nelson, uh, Drew Shelton, Vega Yuane, Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer, Chimdi Ono, Anthony Donko, and then the slew of freshmen who are coming in. That's a really good group. And that's a lot of guys who can play a lot of different positions. And this is a lot of time now to figure out who fits best where. Could Drew Shelton be a guard? Could Anthony Donko, Donko be your next right tackle? Did Drew Shelton do enough to be the right tackle? Can Vega be the center? Is Dawkins the center? Adding another guy into this room and a guy who I think is so clearly a left tackle lets you mold the other four spots on that line in so many different ways. And he's a guy who is always going to take a little bit of time to develop. And if Penn State can get what we think they can get out of Nolan Rucci, they probably just added another Sunday player in the transfer portal with multiple years of eligibility. And that's the biggest win you can imagine in modern college football to find a potential Sunday player in the portal who you can drop in there day one is just a tremendous win for that coaching staff. So uh, the big thing with Nolan Rucci for me is uh, I, I think the most, the person, another option at receiver. Well, I mean, I guess uh, he did catch it. He did catch a touchdown this year that he did against Illinois. Uh, mm-hmm. The person who is going to be most closely tied to success for Nolan Rucci is Chuck Losey. Penn State's yep. uh, Penn State strength coach. I I spoke to uh, I spoke to someone who's going to be hopefully coming on the podcast. I won't tease uh, his cameo too much. Uh, covers Wisconsin, gave me a little bit of insight. As a true freshman on the 2021 roster, Nolan Rucci was six eight and two ninety. This year, as a redshirt, really sol- big and really skinny. This year is a redshirt sophomore, so two years in Wisconsin's program or. Basically, th- three seasons in Wisconsin's pro, he was listed at 6'8", 300. He's put on six pounds since he was a true freshman. And Wisconsin's been a weird school in a recent years. Obviously, uh, Paul Christ out, Luke Fickle in. Luke Fickle kind of getting away from Wisconsin does uh, in-, in terms of, you know, big physical smash mouth football run. Phil Longo from North Carolina, more spread concepts, more air rate concepts. And there's been a lot of overhaul along offensive line coaches at Wisconsin as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, we'll save this for uh, a future episode. But there's been a lot of turmoil in Nolan Rucci's uh, career so far. And even in in the uh, most optimistic case with him, it was that he was going to have to bulk up. He was going to have to build out in that his best days would be later down the road because he just has to take this, take his frame and turn it into being a collegiate offensive lineman. So I I view him as something of a long-term project. So long as Chuck Losey sticks around, so long as Phil Troutline sticks around, I'm optimistic he is going to come good. But like I'm not expecting him day one, Matt, 
to step in and play tackle at Penn State because I still I think he's got a little bit of work he has to do. I think he's going to start day one. I think he's going to come in here and I think he's going to play really early on. I mean, that's the wrong way to word it, I guess. I don't think he's going to come in as the no doubt day one starter, but I do believe he's going to be Penn State's left tackle when they run out there against West Virginia oh. Labor Day weekend. Over Drew Shelton. A lot of projecting. Oh, I think Drew Shelton's going to move to guard. What makes you say that? I think the tackle depth, I think, is just in a whole new world. I think between Anthony Donko going out there and playing all those right tackle reps with Javen Williams being around, with J.B. Nelson with the ability to kind of play all over the field, I think Drew Shelton could be like Will Fry's mode, and he can be a really talented guard, and that might be better where he projects long-term. Can, can, Again, I, can, can, I, can, I, can I push back That's against that a, a bit? Yeah, hit me. Love it. We know that this staff loves nothing more than to have guys who are versatile throughout the offensive line. We'll get you some run here, get you some run here, get you some run here, blah, blah, blah. Shelton from day one has been viewed as a tackle, and the only switching around he has done has been from left tackle to right tackle to back to left tackle. So my hunch or my my whatever you want to say, you know, my gut feeling is that he is going to stick at tackle and then it's a matter of figuring out, well, what? It's a matter of figuring out, is he going to be the kind of guy that they can rely on? Is the guy that showed up in the Peach Bowl what Drew Shelton is? I don't necessarily think that, but... I don't Drew, think that either. Drew Shelton, Shimdi Ono, uh, look around, we'll see what J.B. Nelson they do with him. We see, we'll see what uh, Javen Williams, they do with him. Anthony Donko, of course, played right tackle in the bowl game. So if all those guys project out as tackles, who knows what they'll do? Javen Nelson obviously spent a ton of time at guard this year, so maybe it's just those four guys with Nelson being a guard. It's them, and then Nolan Ritchie steps into that, and he has to fight for his place. And mm-hmm. my, if, if I were to guess, based on absolutely nothing other than... Uh, just how James Franklin runs his program and what Ruchi needs to work on. He's one of those guys who will rotate in. He will get some reps, but I don't think he's necessarily, I, I don't know if he's going to be a guy who necessarily comes out there day one and is like, you're the guy whose job is replacing Olu Thashanu at keeping people from sneaking up on Drew Allard's. Yeah, I mean, it, it, listen, it's another bite at the apple. It's so early to tell. I just think that with how many talented tackles there are, you want to try to keep them as happy as you can. And I do believe that of that group, Drew Shelton is the guy who can move to guard and be equally as productive okay. as he could be at offensive tackle. And, you know, I think that's a, I think that's good for talking about offensive tackles. Let's talk about defensive tackles. Penn State, you know, Man, going, what a run this was. Yeah, I mean, going into this offseason, you look at where the biggest holes were going to be on the roster. The the big ones, the most prominent ones, were wide receiver and quarterback. But the kind of under-the-radar, like, ooh, this could be a problem, was defensive tackle. Because it looked like Penn State was going to be losing uh, Devon Ellis. It looked like Penn State was going to be losing Hakeem Beeman. It looked like Penn State was going to be losing Kozayes. We'll see what Izzard ends up doing. I, I I don't believe he has officially made a decision yet, but both Beeman and Ellie's Matt have announced that they are going to be coming back. And we're now in a position where something that a spot on the roster that had the position, the potential of being a real position of weakness, now is suddenly look like looking like a position of strength heading into 2024. So I think Izzard's going to come back. It, it, nothing officially has been announced yet, but like I haven't seen his name really pop up anywhere, so that's a good win. Um, on the Devon Ellis point, uh, I think it's absolutely hilarious that he will be here for six years, and he will have walked at senior day for half of them. That's like my absolute favorite Did he thing walk ever. at senior he, day two years ago? Two years ago. Huh. Yeah, he did. Some, yeah, listen, some, be, some people just really like ceremonies. I I, that's, I remember I was on this podcast last year, and I'm like, oh, Ellis, you know, he has his two years left I can't believe he walked he's probably gone and now here we are and he's still here gonna do it again um he 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 played really good ball this year he got really really more consistent as the year went on Hakeem Beeman uh, I think I'm ready to admit he kind of is what he is and that's a really 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 solid football player in the Big Ten retention I think is more important than like 
what you can find in the portal, especially along the defensive mm-hmm. front. And those are two guys, three guys, if you want to throw Izzard in there, who are all going to come back along with Zane Durant, Jordan Vandenberg, uh, Caleb Ardis, Tyve Landing, that whole group remaining intact while Penn State has to replace two of their top three edge rushers is a humongous win for Deion Barnes and for Tom Allen. So two guys I'm excited to watch develop, and I think that they are going to be unsung heroes if Penn State's defense is Penn State's defense is going to take a step back in 2024. Like there's just no way they can do what they did this year again. But they're going to be responsible for keeping the defense from going from mm-hmm. elite to simply being extremely good. Absolutely. I, I mean, uh, I, I I think that there was the only thing that was guaranteed going into next year at defensive tackle was that Zane Durant was going to be a star. Zane, you know, Zane Durant is a stud. He's a, uh, you know, he's a guy who is really productive, really destructive for Penn State this season, five and a half tackles for a loss and two sacks. And then you kind of look through the rest of the room. Devon Townley, never been a guy who's really done anything. Tide Landing, freshman. Alonzo Ford, you know, transfer into the program. I forgot about Alonzo Ford. I forgot about Townley. Oh, my God. Yeah, transfer into the program. Jordan Vandenberg, a guy who, uh, you know, all the tools, just never really been a guy who, you know, they've been able to rely on, uh, you know, going to continue to get seasoning there. Uh, Caleb Artis, again, a young guy, never really been in a position to do anything. We're going from a situation where one of those guys was going to have to line up next to Zane Durant. And it's worth mentioning, of those guys I read, Townley, 277, Blanding, 274. Uh, Ford is 298, Vandenberg is 310, Artis 319. But it's not like they had big, nasty, physical, productive guys in those spots to... Now you're going to get a guy in Devon Elliott who really, really blossomed this season, especially in the back half of this season. Five tackles for loss, didn't get any sacks, 26 tackles on the year. Went from a guy who... That's a ton for a rotational defensive yeah, tackle. That's a ton of production. Went from a guy who... Um, how do how, how, how do I want to... He, he was a guy in years past who just like, it never... It never seemed like it was going to click for him. It never seemed like we were ever going to be able to rely on Devon Ellis to be anything other than like, you know, a guy who takes up a scholarship and then eventually goes on to other things. Even early on this season, it's not like Devon Ellis was like lighting the world on fire. And then you listen to the way that Franklin and co talk about him, about how he found his voice as a leader and how it seemed, it, it almost seems like him taking on that more vocal role but get him being better on the football field. And it just led to this cycle of stuff happening. And you now have those two guys, two rocks in the center of your defense, a guy in Beeman who, you know, I wasn't very high on him coming into this season relative to where you were with him, Matt. But the thing with him is he like is played a ton of football. And I would rather a guy who has played a ton of football than, you know, one of these unknown, you know, with, you know, respect to a guy like, uh, you know, Ty Blanding or Jordan Vandenberg or Caleb Artis, I'd rather a guy who I know what he is as you're going through a position, a series of, you know, a transitional year. He's now a guy who, if Zane Durant has to come off the field, you plug Hakeem Beeman in. And yeah, obviously you're going from a starter to a backup, but that a much smaller that drop gap. off is not much right, at this exactly. point with, those, with, the, with that top four. That's not much of a drop off anywhere. I don't think exactly. And when you consider that Penn State, like you mentioned, is going to have to replace Chop Robinson, going to have to replace Adisa Isaac, going to have to replace some of their most havoc-inducing guys on the defense. They're you know their top eight guys in tackles for loss. Adisa Isaac gone, Curtis Jacobs gone, Chop yeah. Robinson gone. Uh, 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 Johnny Dixon gone. Having mm-hmm. these guys who you know and can rely on, really huge, really big for Penn State along the defensive front. And Matt, as you look through the rest of the roster at this point, are there any positions where you're like, I'd really like to see them try to get another guy, another two guys in the court? We don't have we heard on Jalen Reed yet. I, mean, I think he's kind of in the same vote. Yeah, vote boat. Excuse me, as because I answered, we're like, he could probably go, but I think he's going to come back. I haven't heard anything otherwise. 
Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, I'm just going to operate and then Reed's coming back until I hear otherwise. But corner is my long answer with an answer here. Um, I think they definitely need at least one more guy in that room. I think there's talent. I think Cam Miller and Elliot Washington really went through a trial by fire kind of vibe. Um, <laughs> and I really want to see who they can go out there and land. It sounds like there's a guy and we won't reveal anything that's behind a paywall because that's not what we're about on this podcast. Uh, but I really do hope that by the time this is out tomorrow, hopefully maybe even earlier, uh, that we're going to have some news that Penn State's able to go out there and find a really talented corner to help raise the floor of that room. Yeah, a corner is definitely a position where uh, I'm a big fan of the talent, and I think there's so much talent in that room. Like, you know, I mentioned it on the pod, uh, the solo show, but I think Cam Miller, he showed me a lot, even though Trey hey, Harris hey, got hey. the best of him in that bowl game. Zion Tracy, I like him. Uh, Elliot Washington, young talent four-star speed speed yeah. like all this stuff i'm willing to Lamont bet on Payne's him moving to safety we think correct i think that's the assumption but i'm not 100 percent sure okay but you look at all this stuff and like there are guys there but at the same time you look at the room cam miller i believe he's going to be junior he's going to be a junior it was either a junior or retro salt or couldn't remember off the top of my head and then the rest of the room zion tracy sophomore Elliot washington sophomore odavian collins I, I think redshirt freshman or sophomore, something like redshirt that. Redshirt sophomore is going to be. Yeah, transferring from Ole Miss. Uh, and then it's three freshmen who are talented, and John Mitch and Mitchell, Antoine, Belgrave, Shorter, and Kenny Woesley. But you're really lacking in dudes who, uh, you know, you're really relying on a lot of young guys. So hopefully they can go out and grab a guy, maybe two guys in the portal who could come in, who could give Penn State just a little bit more teeth uh, in the defensive backfield and really shore up the one major question that I think exists on the defense. And then for everything I said about wide receiver, I'd love it if they got just one more dude in receiver, a different kind of profile to what they have uh, anywhere. Or even if it's a, you know, they kind of got burned on this with Cephas, but if it's a guy who's like done it at any college level, I'd be happy with that. I, I want a guy who just like, knows what it means to be a productive college football so we'll see we'll see what happens there uh matt any uh any any final thoughts uh as we you know send the people into their week here no uh next couple weeks are going to be some fun pods on the horizon uh bill we have to do our recap of our over under picks for the year uh which i'm really excited to talk through uh and then we also have to do our early enrollee preview classes start next week so <laughs> We can kind of do a larger deep dive into the early enrollee group. I think it's like 20 of the 25 members of this class. It's crazy. Uh, I think that also give us a good chance to really take a deep dive into what the portal really brought Penn State. Uh, and it didn't really take that much away. I'm pretty surprised at how little entered the portal um, for Penn State this offseason, um, which is great. That That's a sign that the locker room is healthy, that it's a good culture. Uh, and I'm excited to see what the new guys are able to do. We're really close to having that week where everybody you know is kind of annoying about the posts where the freshmen sit in the front of the class oh yeah i forgot it. i forgot they do that uh but yeah i i think that's it for uh this is in the pod thank you everyone as always for listening make sure you go and subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast use apple Podcasts. leave us five star review for leave us five stars over on spotify and use that q a feature so we have stuff that we could uh talk about as we get into the off season uh go over to youtube subscribe over there and hop into the comments talk about Penn State football there. Follow us on Twitter at RLR blog. And one last time, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Hopefield Apparel. Again, for the first time, customers use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. From Matt Filipovic, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.